Look forward to retirement and avoid the pitfalls. Keep listening for ways to maximize your retirement income. More than money with the Popowich Carmelli Advisory Group, CIBC Woodgundy, on News Talk 770. Lifestyle matters. It's more than money. I'm Faisal Carmelli, my co-host here, Dave Popovich. How are you doing, man? I'm uh, I'm good, Faisal. How we, about you? We've had a few weeks of Rob coming in, filling in for each of us. This is a little bit of a reunion, you and I. Yeah, no, it's nice to be back and um, uh, and get at it. It's been it's been an intense several week period, right? Okay. Lots to talk about. I think when we're not together on the show, the markets kind of fall. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, that's, they, they my, must that's know. the new trend. That's right. They that's must, the new trend. They must know. That's right. <laughs> All right. Listen, we've got we've got a pretty uh, a pretty interesting show today. Um, you know, the, the investment world is very large, uh, and there's lots of different asset classes. Right? It's not just about stocks and cash. There's a whole bunch of different things. And when you've got the whole world to invest in a bunch of different asset classes, where should you be investing? What should we be looking at? Where are yes. the opportunities? Where are the pain points? Where where do you protect all of those things? And, we're going to talk about that with one of our guests today. When, when you look at all the issues that are out there right now, um, this week was a very interesting week in the markets because we got words like stagflation, mm-hmm. bear market, recession. the recession. Yeah. Right. Uh, all these all these buzzwords were coming out um, from central bankers, from um, you know market people in the, in the intelligence side of the market. Uh, the media is talking about it. It's it's it, you know. The number one question I heard on the business news uh, broadcast in U.S. and Canada is, have we hit the bottom? Have we hit the bottom? Have we hit the bottom? Now they're focused on this. Where's the bottom? Have we hit? Is it going to continue? And that's a concern that investors have. Is it going to, are we going to continue to see a fall? Right. And so there's a whole bunch of things that were happening this week. What caught your attention when it came to some of the headline stories? And then we can talk about, is this going to continue to fall? Yeah. Um, So there's a couple of things, actually. Uh, Let's start with the U.S. market. So, of course, the number one thing that's been really on investors' minds is this notion of inflation. Um, And what does the central bank have to do to bring it down, led by the U.S. Fed? So we got some inflation data. We got some CPI data, which is consumer price uh, inflation data in the United States. And it was a super interesting number. The expectation was for inflation running at 8.1%. Down from 8.5% the previous month. Yeah. And we get a number that's 8.3. So I thought it was a fascinating trading day. And, and, and I, I was on media this week talking about it. And I said, it's going to be an interesting trading day because if you wanted to make the case that inflation has peaked and that was one of your decision points for, uh, for an equity rally, you had that data point. If you wanted the data to say, hey, it's still running too hot and it's overly persistent, you had that data point. And it was, it's been a very active price discovery week because you've got buyers and sellers on both sides of that. Yep. Now, to add to that, we got data later in the week that talked about the producer price index, so at a Correct. factory level. Correct. Right? Again, running high, but it came down below the 11.5 it was in the previous month. So now I've got another interesting data point to sort of support whatever side of that argument I want to be on. I think that the, the miscommunication <clears throat> right now amongst uh, the media is Peak inflation and falling inflation. Right. We, we remember when you go on a roller coaster, yeah. and you're at the very top, when and we, you pause there for a bit. Yeah, I start to cry. That's yeah. That's when the tears start coming, <laughs> the legs start shaking, yeah. and then you kind of tilt down. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, it starts to fall. We're not at the fall part yet right. of this roller coaster. Right. 
we're at that tipping point. Potentially, right? Potentially. Potentially, Correct. yeah. Now, and we now, need some confirmation of that. Yes. Now, so when you go unconventional side, looking for that confirmation, you look at what some of these companies are talking about. When you look at some of the companies who have the biggest impact on inflation, they're basically the basic goods that have to get transferred and right. get the operating margin. Companies are having a challenging time passing on that inflation cost to all consumers. Right. Okay? So you're not going to be able to increase your prices as much. So there's a there's an indicator right there that maybe prices are not going to go up. The companies have to absorb some of that. Mm -hmm. Okay. Second piece, when you start looking at companies like um, bleach companies or toothpaste companies, you know they they have some basic commodities, some basic chemicals that they use to make their products. They're saying their inflation rates are not as high as they were. Right. They're coming down. Right. So that's interesting. Right. Then you look at you look at the individual consumer and anecdotally we've asked almost all of our clients how's inflation impacting you? Well, it's not impacting me that much. I don't I, I don't see a big change. It's not a I'm not asking for 8% more money. Right. And, and, and be clear about that, because they do feel it. They feel it in food. They feel it at, oh, the, at sure. the pump. So we're not saying that they don't feel it. But overall, their, their cost of living, if they're traveling now, overall, over the last three years, it hasn't, it hasn't changed their ability to live the life Correct. they want. And they're shifting behavior. Correct. So if they want the same goods from the grocery store, right. then they're going to cut on something else. Right. Or they'll cut the type of... You know, food they buy, they're not buying high grade, they're buying lower quality. Yeah. Or you don't buy as many steaks this week as you normally well, would. Well, right? besides you, I mean, <laughs> you're the only one that will buy unlimited amount of steaks. That, that being said. I like steak. Yeah. <laughs> that being said. There's a sh so this is normal economics. If pricing goes up, yeah. you decide to look for substitution or you change your behavior in other goods. Right. You start to knock off things. This is going to happen. Right. And so that's where, it, when you start to see knockoff, what's the first thing that most people change in behavior? Mm -hmm. Is it food? No. 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 Is it clothing? Yeah. Little bit. Yeah. Not shelter? gasoline. Not gasoline. Not gasoline. Not shelter. Those are almost inel inelastic yeah. behaviors. Yeah. Right? But what's the elastic? What's the ones that change and right. snap back and so forth? Look for those indicators. Right. They haven't changed yet. Right. Technology spend still up. Right. Discretionary spending still up. Yep. Savings rate still high. But coming down. They're spending we're spending more. The consumer is strong. They're spending it. Yeah. And and what's going to be interesting about this is let's say it does go into recession. Mm -hmm. You and I had a conversation about this over the phone. It's not being talked about right now, but I believe the governments around the world have set a precedence that we've never set before. So let's say we go into a recession 2023. Mm -hmm. When's the next federal election here? Mm -hmm. 2025. Mm -hmm. Okay, you want to be reelected. Mm -hmm. Do you say as the as the governing uh, government in power, eh, let it ride. Let all these people suffer. Or would you bring back CERB or what's called the universal basic income? Mm -hmm. Now, it's not being talked about because, God forbid, anybody mention that right now. That's just, that's going to cause a lot of headlines. Right. But you don't think that there's people in the back, back, background talking about these things saying, God forbid we end up in a recession, get ready to print some more money, federal government, not the Bank of Canada. Right. Because they'll just put interest rates and quantitative easing and quantitative tightening. Right. 
but it's the federal government that will step in. I really believe that we have set a precedence that now we have no right to fail into recession. Well, listen, it, it, so the word recession, uh, we'll, we'll find out, right? Uh, we, did, we did talk about that over the, uh, over the phone, and it's an interesting position. But here's the thing. Uh, let's just talk about the word recession for a minute. Okay. okay? Because I think that's, a, that's another important point. So when we say the word recession, uh, you can see like the shock on people's face. What they think of is the recessions where they lost their job, they lost their house, right? Um, the economy was slowing. Yeah. It was bad. Yeah. Double-digit unemployment. Yeah. You know, companies shutting down. Right. Stuff like that. Yeah. And, and, and that's a traditional. And that's a deep recession. Yeah. And that's a traditional recession for sure. But let's remember the definition of a recession. A recession is simply defined as two negative back-to-back -back quarters of GDP contraction. That contraction could be 0.1%. Yeah. Okay. So effectively flat, but you're in a recession. Right. Yeah, but but Dave, I I understand what you're saying from a technical term. A negative 0.1 percent, two quarters in a row, consecutive quarters equals a recession. Yes. And it's not considered a deep recession. But if you look at the impact of those individuals in a shallow recession, mm -hmm. it is a large percentage of the population. Keep going. Okay. So in order to protect that large percent of the population and your government in charge with an election around the corner, you're probably going to. Do something about it, even if it's shallow. Yeah, no, I'm not disagreeing. I'm not disagreeing. But what I what I want to make sure that, that people understand, right, is there's there's two forces at play. You're talking about uh, government policy. We're talking about central bank policy. Correct. Right. So central banks could risk a technical recession if they wanted to to try to pull demand off the table. That's what they have to do. Correct. Right. And then governments could support them. Normally, on a show like this, when you talk about the markets. You bring on a guest that will talk about the stock markets. Then you bring on a guest that will talk about the bond markets. Then you bring on a guest that can talk about commodities and another one for about currencies. Yep. Uh, you've got multi-assets. You'll need multiple disciplines, yep. multiple viewpoints. Now, well, we don't have 13 hours to, <laughs> to share with all the, the knowledge. So how do you, how you get all those expertise yep. into one itty-bitty 10-minute uh, uh, segment you bring a multi-asset management team on board, and that's where we have Michael Sager, Vice President of Multi-Asset and Currency at CIBC Asset Management. Michael, welcome to the show. Hello, gentlemen. Good to be here. Thank you. Let's give our viewers and listeners um, a, a bit of a refresher on what exactly is a multi-asset uh, uh, investment, uh, what is it the mandate, and how, do, how does it work? The, it, it, the really uh, is trying to get as many investment opportunities, as many ways to add value and to diversify everything else that's in the portfolio. So multi-asset covers uh, an ability to invest in equities, uh, in bonds, but also in alternatives like currency and commodities. Um, different from a traditional uh, balanced fund that, that tends to be long only, uh, multi-asset can go long and short. Um, so you've got all of these different levers um, that you can use that, that you know, more often than not is going to add a different source of return that diversifies, that is additive to what you already have in the core long only portfolio. Michael, thank you for that, um, yeah, for that definition. Let's talk about, let's just talk about the current environment, if you will. So maybe 
Um, let's maybe you could give us your thoughts coming into this year, what uh, what you were anticipating, and then up to this point in time, and you know, most specifically over the last, you know, ca- call it a month or so, this extreme volatility. Love to get your opinion on on sort of the build up to this point in time. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we uh, we were certainly looking for inflation to go up. So you know, as as far back as a year or so we, ago, we were writing on it, but we weren't expecting it to go up as as far as it has, um, and nor were the Bank of Canada or the Fed or the rest of the market, I think. And so that's been the biggest surprise, not only that inflation is higher than we've become used to, but it, it's more prevalent in more of the economy. So, you know, it started out at the end of last year, beginning of this year, as being driven by some supply bottlenecks. You know, there were some shortages in in the world. Uh, Computer chips um, were short, which pushed up, say, the prices of uh, new cars, secondhand cars. That was fairly limited. What we've seen subsequent uh, over the last few months is a broadening in the sources of inflation and particularly into there being too much demand in the world economy. And you can see that, I think, by how hot labor markets are and how hot housing markets are right now. So the inflation is higher is not a surprise that it's this high and this prevalent that's been the big surprise and it's jolted central banks into action and that's where a lot of the volatility has come from when you look at the volatility happening now and you've identified some key areas of where the root cause can be put yourself in the central bank's view and the reason why i'm asking this question is because there are schools of thought out there that believe that this is going to be a soft landing And there's a school of thought out there. This is going to be a very challenging. The recession word is now out and we have to go into recession to get out of this. What are your thoughts in regards to handling this volatility going forward economically first? And that will lead to the markets. Do you do you believe as a central banker, they can let's take the Federal Reserve. Can they actually contain this and make it a soft landing? Or are we going into a recession where it's going to actually really hurt us? Yeah, it's it's really the question. So our view, just just to give you that, and then I'll put myself in the mind of of a central banker. Um, Our view is that soft landing is still the most likely, um, but risks of a hard landing have definitely gone up. And the reason they've gone up is because, you know, there's more inflation and so more to do in terms of policy, but it's not just more to do for the Fed or for the Bank of Canada, most central banks are grappling with the same problem at the same time. And they've got fairly blunt tools to do it. You know, you raise an interest rate and then you sit back and you watch what happens. That's uh, in terms of what it impacts a very complicated machine called the economy. And so when everybody's trying to achieve the same objective and they're trying to catch up to where they should have been, that's a a big risk. So 
Our best guess is a is a is a smooth landing, uh, but hard landing risk has definitely gone up. So then, if if I put myself in as a central banker, you know, if you go back to 2018, and I'm Jerome Powell, uh, chair of the Fed, I start to raise interest rates back then. Equity markets sell off by you know call it 10% in round numbers. And I back off. I stop tightening. In fact, I loosen because I don't want the equity market to go down. This time around, it's different because of the amount of inflation in the economy. They can't stop tightening um, because that that would just allow inflation at five, seven, eight percent to get embedded. So they've got a, a different problem this time. They have to keep tightening which means that they are going to inflict pain on markets as they've done so far. How much more pain is the big question, but they have to keep going with the tightening um, despite the volatility. So that's a big difference this time around. Michael, there's uh, there's talk also of stagflation, and I know on on Thursday the Deputy Governor Bank of Canada was speaking about that, and was quite clear about the fact that he doesn't feel the conditions exist for stagflation. Perhaps you could address your your thoughts uh, around that. Yeah, we, we would agree with him. At the moment, labor markets are hot. They're, they're very tight. You know, if you look at the amount of open uh, job um, opportunities right now in Canada, in the US, it's clear that labor markets are tight. Um, for us to get stagflation would require growth to um, fall precipitously and inflation to stay high. Um, but you've got to ask yourself, why would those two conditions happen? Um, we think growth is going to slow. It's strong right now, but it will slow to, you know, about its long term trend. But why will it slow? Well, it will slow because predominantly policymakers are going to tighten interest rates to cool off labor markets, to cool off housing markets. And that sort of takes the, the steam out of inflation. So that's the reason why uh, we don't think there's going to be stagflation. One way to measure that is the key metric for central banks, which is long-term inflation expectations. They talk about this all the time. What they want to make sure is that inflation expectations remain consistent with their long-term inflation target of 2% year-on-year um, inflation. So far, they've done that. If inflation expectations start to move higher, they will tighten more. Um, if they didn't, that's the risk of stagflation. But central banks are all in here to make sure that doesn't happen. So I, I, I and we agree with the Bank of Canada on that. And Michael, thank you for the um, uh, sort of that uh, view of the world where we are and uh, some of the big challenges that we're facing right now. The question that investors, of course, have is what do we do going forward here? Um, how can we both profit and yeah. protect yeah. in an environment like this? 
um, given that you got a whole bunch of different things you can invest in. As a multi-asset manager, you have a whole bunch of levers you can pull. You can pull on the equity side, the fixed income side, commodities, currency. You can go long, you can go short. When you look at just the indexes of all different markets, including uh, fixed income, fixed income down, equities down, depending on which currency. If you're looking at the US dollar's gone up, Canadian dollar slightly flat, maybe a little bit negative, but, there's, but the commodities have been roaring. When you look at what levers to pull from this point for the remainder of the year, which ones do you believe are gonna actually attribute towards the uh, uh, positive performance? And which areas would, would you shy away from because of the way where we are in the economy and where the markets are positioned right now? Yeah, great question. So the main lever we're pulling on at the moment, and again, it's a little bit different from a traditional um, uh, portfolio right now. We are building a long bond position. So I know there's been lots of debate given the, the, the fall in bond prices, the increase in bond yields about, you know, the, the relevance of bonds to a portfolio. We think they're still very relevant. Um, our position in, in our Mars strategy is to be long bonds, Canadian government bonds, US treasuries. And the idea there is that we've come a long way in terms of the increase in yields. We think that we're pretty close to uh, the peak in yields. And as growth slows, as inflation begins to come out of the economy uh, in response to policymakers, we think that bonds are a, a good place to be. They're, they're going to uh, see some rally from here. So number one position in the portfolio is long bonds. When you look at the bond market, as, um, this is the first time in a very long time, Dave, that I've said to you, let's go bond shopping, mm -hmm. right? Like we don't, I don't normally do that, Michael. I'm, I'm more of the growth guy. I don't look at bonds as the opportunity until times like this. And you're mentioning North American government bonds, US, Canada. What about globally when you're seeing, what, seven, eight interest rate increases by the Mexican government? their interest on their bonds will offer higher yield. When you look at other places around the world, do you see, is there a home bias for a reason or is this just a reversion to the mean from because of the price falling? What, why the opportunity in US and Canada and bonds versus globally? Well, the, the two parts to the, the answer there. One, from the Canadian perspective, what we are interested in again is in a multi-asset fund, it's return to risk that we're looking at. And again, that's a little bit different to a traditional long-only fund where you're, you're looking at the return. Um, and so if you look at return to risk, Canadian bonds versus, say, Canadian equities right now are very, very attractive. Um, that ratio of return to risk is much more attractive in bonds uh, right now than it is uh, in equities. That said, there's pretty attractive opportunities in, in some fundamentally strong emerging markets too. So the one I would highlight is Brazil, where similar to Mexico, similar to uh, Canada and the US, they've been raising rates. They've been doing it a lot longer than the Fed or the Bank of Canada. And so interest rates on a five-year Brazilian bond are up at around 12%. Uh, 
Um, we think, again, we're close to the end of the interest rate increase cycle. Um, and we're also at a point where um, economic growth is going to start slowing, inflation's going to start um, uh, getting less relevant. Uh, and so 12% on a five-year bond is a pretty attractive opportunity. So we do have long positions in select emerging market bond uh, uh, markets too. Michael, perhaps your your comment, a quick comment, because currencies are part of um, uh, are part of the uh, the mandate or the world that, that you can live in. Uh, we've had some strength in the U.S. dollar. Maybe uh, you can speak to that strength in general terms, but also specific to the Canadian dollar. Where do we think the Canadian dollar ends up here relative to U.S.? Yeah, we're we're in a range. Um, you know, the the U.S. dollar has been strong because of a number of reasons. One, it tends to do well when markets are stressed and and we're seeing some dis indiscriminate selling. And that, that's what we can clearly see, I think, at the moment. Um, when that happens, people tend to go to quality. And in currency markets, the US dollar is quality. Um, the Fed has been particularly aggressive in its communication about what it plans to do. That's supportive for the US dollar. So those two reasons particularly have, have helped the US dollar. Um, but look at the Canadian dollar. It's got continued strong growth for now. It's going to slow, but right now growth is very strong. The underlying sectors in the Canadian economy are ones which in the long term are going to be supported. Commodity markets long term are still attractive. Um, so the, the, the Canadian economy um, looks fine in the long term. Um, the US dollar, the more it strengthens in the short term, the more expensive it looks. So we're probably at the top of the range uh, Canadian dollar versus the US, there may be upside of three to five percent from here, but we're definitely trading Canadian dollar versus US dollar in a wide range right now. We've sold off a little bit in the last month. That gives us the opportunity to to appreciate back to the top of the range. So range bound, but tactical opportunities there. Michael, we're under two minutes left before we have to go to commercial break. Um, when you have all these levers you can pull, there's some you would not even want to touch or maybe even throw away or go short. Give us the other side of the equation now. What don't you want to get involved in right now? What areas are you shorting or you'd prefer people to look at and say, be careful of these areas? Well, the, the big short we've got on at the moment, tactically at least, is in equity markets. Uh, so we've been short the S&P, the NASDAQ. We've been short in uh, Euro stocks as well. And the idea there on equities is really that, you know, the, the tailwind from um, cyclical growth is dissipating. The headwind from stretched valuations, particularly in US large cap, is still there despite uh, the correction we've seen. So net-net, over the next 12 months, we think we're in a, a wide sideways tra trading range for equities. There are going to be periods of down and periods of up. Currently, we're in a down and 
we've been exploiting that by being short those three markets I mentioned. Um, you know, longer term equities, long equities is a cornerstone of portfolios. But in a multi-asset fund, you get these tactical opportunities to be both long and short. Um, and, and that's what we're taking advantage of right now. Michael, I want to thank you for your time. We've uh, we've run out. I think we've done a pretty good job to cover a lot of different areas of both opportunity and some uh, some stress points. We always uh, are, as always, thank you for joining us. Always a pleasure. We've been joined by Michael Sager, Vice President, Multi-Asset and Currency at CIBC Asset Management. People are feeling uh, anxiety pain. and pain right pain. now. Pain. Right? Equity markets are down. They feel pain. Here's some of the words <laughs> that have been used to describe when people are looking at their statements or their portfolios. Bleeding, mm -hmm. catastrophe, mm -hmm. I'm never gonna be able to retire. Like these phrases and words yep. is showing you the sentiment that people are feeling yep. as they see a drop in the markets of 10%, let's say, or more. Right. That's an alarm. That's a lot of pain. The question that I have is, we as Canadians, and maybe this is more than just Canadians, but I'll pick on our country only at this point. We are a culture of, we'll do stuff when there is pain. And we'll define pain as it has to be done at that time. We don't do it in advance. Best example, RRSP season. The most number of phone calls that we get, that the financial institutions nationally get, is in the 48 hours before the deadline. What didn't you know a week before the deadline that you now know in 48 hours before the deadline? Mm -hmm. It's a pain point. Oh, I better get this. Better get it done. Here we go. People call us from the show. They're listeners. They go, Faisal, my portfolio's down 20%. Pain point. How was it last year? Oh, I was up 6, 7, 8%. Why didn't you call me last year? Oh, it was up. So why would I call you? Now it's down. I want, I want it to be fixed. We go to the doctor only when we have a problem or a pain. Or, I'm retiring tomorrow. What am I going to do? Yeah. Pain point. Like it doesn't have to be just the markets. But so this conversation was really interesting because it sort of came out of we, we've had a we had a conference call this week. We've had a a, a client community event this week talking about taxes. So let, let me kind of just jump yeah. in there to kind of explain <clears throat> those two pieces. First of all, every quarter we have a quarterly conference call with all of our clients, outlining what's happening in the portfolio. What's, what's happening, what's, what are we buying, what are yeah. we selling, and what our thoughts are, and then we open up for Q&A yeah. after. We also have a monthly, or almost every month, a PKAG community event. We do different sessions. This is the first one that we did live and, and online, and um, we, uh, we were able to have a conversation about tax and get to, get to hear about con people's concerns about tax and right. how to have a tax planning and strategy. So two different sessions, Wednesday, Thursday, um, but and, it's not, and it wasn't just unique to those. The conversation, what I was going to say is, lots of different kinds of conversations came out of it. And, and as we were sort of debriefing on some of these conversations, the common theme that we came up with was this notion of a pain point. So people will hear a message, mm -hmm. right, when they're ready to hear the message. And that message tends to be amplified when there's some feeling of fear, anxiety, pain, risk, whatever the case may be, yep. right? When things are good, we can ignore a bunch of stuff. But then there's this pain point. And so, you know, you and I were talking about how do you get people to to um, to deal with these things in advance? Put it put the structures in place. That doesn't mean if a market falls, you're not going to feel anxiety and so on and so forth. 
But rather than waiting for that pain point to hear the message, right? How do we put in piece uh, in place all the pieces? Yeah. And whose job is that, right? And then we started talking about from a process perspective. We Correct. talk about structure, discipline, and process. And this is the big thing. When do people <clears throat> talk about their retirement when they're ready to retire? When do people talk about their health issues going forward and maybe what some of the, the financial obligations or costs that it will take to keep them in the, the quality of life they want is when it actually happens or right. when someone around them it's happened to them. That's right. When do people talk about their estate plan and the wills and so forth when it either happens to a close member of their family or friends or it's happened to them. Right. That's when, oh, now we better start planning. This is this is the key thing. People re, will do things closer to when the pain is, is, is seen or felt. Yeah. Okay? So our team needs to do something beyond that. We just can't be the emergency ward on on the in the hospital and just take in emergencies all day long. I got to do my will. I got to talk about tax. I got to right, talk. right. Like, we're not we're not triage. Well, you don't want to be there. You, but but I'll tell you, our industry is based on triage. You know, fair enough. Our entire industry fair is enough. based on. I have a problem. You fix it now. Right. Well, what's my next problem? I don't know. I'll tell you what my next problem is when the next problem when comes. I feel it. Yeah, and right. then I'll come into the eMERGE, right. a.k.a. my financial institution, right. and you fix it. That's a good, a good analogy. Okay? Yep. So we don't want to be eMERGE. We want to be proactive planning. Right. Right? So we are the group that actually says, okay, we're dealing with this pain point, but here are the next two, three, four things down the line you're going to feel pain on at some point. Right. Right. And that's the trickiness. It's you're going to feel pain at some point. Can we do this before if you feel the pain? I have never gone to a merge right. where I had, and I broke my collarbone. That's the one example I'll give you. In the merge, got, broke my collarbone, got got my meds, got it all, you know, fixed the, fixed as best they could. Here's some drugs. Get out. Not saying, did you know that in five years, you will know when it's minus 30 or plus 30. Right. Your shoulder's going to feel it, Faisal. Here are the exercises and strategies you need to do to make sure you're okay. Right. That doctor never gave it. And it's not a knock to the doctor. It's right. just not the way the system works. Right. That doctor would know that I'm going to have problems as a 47-year-old male Ooh. with my shoulder at that time. It's going to happen. I've never heard Living you admit in your Calgary. Age. I've never heard you admit your age before. Uh, yeah, I'm an old guy. <laughs> I'm an old guy now. I just, I just had my 47th birthday. I'm an old guy. And so... so this is something that we don't see in other industries. Yeah. More importantly, we don't see it in our industry. Because right. we're just the financial emergency reserve. Right. Just, well, I need, I need your help. Right. I need your help. I need your help. I need this. I need that. Do it for me now. Right. Versus here are the next four things that you have to deal with. Right. So that's why our team, our process, is all about making sure that, yes, we'll deal with the pain today, but be prepared for the next two, three, four things that are gonna come down over the next two, three, five, ten years, yeah. so you don't feel that pain. Right. And prod you to try to get you to do it at a point before the pain hits. And, right. And where this comes from mm. is why you're in this business and why I'm in this business. Yeah. When your parents went through what they did through retirement to get to their situation, the one thing you said to me is, I wish they planned in advance, this would never happen. Correct. When I told you my story about my family, and I said, I wish they planned in advance, so this would never happen. Right. We want to be that plan in advance team. And that's important. Right. That's right. Uh, eliminate that, that the triage. That was, a good, that was a good analogy you just used, right? Don't end up in the emergency Don't room. end up in the emergency That's right. So here is the takeaway. For anybody who's dealing with a financial institution, 
for their retirement, their investments, their planning, <coughs> tax, whatever. Do not consider your financial institution, your advisory team, your wealth management team as the eMERGE. Think of them as a team you need to work with on a regular basis. So that means you have the responsibility to reach out as much as they have yep. a process that they will reach out to you as well. Right. And be and you've got to be open to the idea. It's hard. I mean, it's it's human nature. I don't think that's a Canadian issue. I think it's a human nature issue. Okay. Right. You've got to be um, like uh, our job is to make sure we kind of poke and prod and pull people along because until like most people won't do it. Right. I think everybody would agree with the statement that you, we just made. Yeah. Right. Um, but we gotta, we've got to be proactive in pulling them along, right? You know, when people come to our seminar on an ongoing basis, we've done this for over a decade, uh, almost 13 years we've been doing the, the seminar in this methodology, yeah. this, this process. We talk about four buckets, and those buckets are income, growth, healthcare, and legacy. And those are four areas that are big concerns as people go through retirement. One of those buckets will attract the viewer or listener to that, that seminar. And they will say, I want to talk about that. Pain point. Right. And then we'll say, okay, yeah, we're going to talk about that, but there's three other buckets we're going to focus on right. as well. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll worry about that later. Let's focus on my pain point. But we keep on coming back saying, this is a process. Right. You're going to go through everything. Right. Yeah. And when you're not doing it because you're in eMERGE, it's a heck of a lot better outcome. Can you imagine dealing, being in a financial eMERGE for the rest of no, your life? No, no, no. Like that, that's, that's stressful. That's not a fun retirement. No. So having that planning, having that ability to know that there's a process, ask your wealth management team, ask your advisor, what's your process to handle all of my concerns through retirement? Well, and, and more importantly, absolutely, if there's no process there, it's a problem, but bring it up, right? It's amazing how siloed people think. Yeah. Um, and well, this this point over here with my family is not relevant to you know, my financials. It absolutely, absolutely is relevant, it is. absolutely is relevant, yeah. right? Okay, listen, we got, we got to put all this together. There is a framework. You've alluded to it. We're going to talk about it again, as we do every single month. Why don't you remind everybody when it's coming up? That process on how to bulletproof your <clears> retirement <throat> will be on Tuesday, May 24th, 7 p.m., live online. You need to register for this. So go to morethanmoneyradio.com. That's morethanmoneyradio.com to register. Well, on, my, on behalf of uh, myself, Dave, and Faisal, I want to thank you for joining us for another edition of More Than Money. We look forward to chatting with you next week. David Popovich and Faisal Carmelli are portfolio managers and investment advisors with CIBC Woodgundy in Calgary. The views of David Popovich and Faisal Carmelli do not necessarily reflect those of CIBC World Markets, Inc. Clients are advised to seek advice regarding their particular circumstances from their personal tax and legal advisors. If you are currently a CIBC Woodgundy client, please contact your investment advisor. CIBC Woodgundy is a division of CIBC World Markets, Inc., a subsidiary of CIBC and a member of the Canadian Investor Protection Fund and Investment Industry Regulatory Organization of Canada. David Popovich and Faisal Carmelli are portfolio managers and investment advisors with CIBC Woodgundy in Calgary. The views of David Popovich and Faisal Carmelli do not necessarily reflect those of CIBC World Markets, Inc. Clients are advised to seek advice regarding their particular circumstances from their personal tax and legal advisors. If you are currently a CIBC Woodgundy client, please contact your investment advisor. CIBC Woodgundy is a division of CIBC World Markets, Inc., a subsidiary of CIBC and a member of the Canadian Investor Protection Fund and Investment Industry Regulatory Organization of Canada.